Testing, testing. Is this thing on? Hello, world. You're tuned into the Head in the Cloud podcast, your number one podcast for everything related to the current and evolving digital landscape. I am your host, Brandon Lentino, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Nicole Fellini. Nicole, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? Feeling good, feeling great, feeling excited about today's episode, as I'm sure you are too. Absolutely. Episode three, Head in the Cloud. Today, we're joined by Alicia Titone, graphic designer and editorial illustrator at GQ Magazine. Obviously, a huge powerhouse publication. Oh, yeah. So really excited for everyone to take a listen to the conversation that we had with her. Um, but a fun fact for everybody, Alicia and Nicole actually went to college together up at Champlain, yeah? Yeah, Champlain College up in Burlington, Vermont, right down the street from UVM. It's absolutely stunning up there. Everybody should go check it out, especially you. I know. You've been telling me forever to get up there. Maybe I'll have to pop up there this winter and get some ski runs in. Uh, nonetheless, not here to talk about the fresh powder in Vermont, here to talk about Alicia Titone, all of the just dope stuff that she's up to at GQ, as I said, a graphic designer and editorial illustrator. I think what I'm most excited for the listeners to hear is her outlook on how she's navigated the duality between print and digital. You know, I know she said in the episode her background is in like publishing. Yeah, uh, she designed book covers. Designed book covers, exactly. And so I thought it was extremely interesting to hear how she took that experience and translated it into, you know, all of the work that she's doing digitally at GQ currently. Nonetheless, don't want to give away too many spoilers. I think it's best just to have the listeners hear it from Alicia herself. So episode three, Head in the Clout. If you love content, if you love GQ, if you love design, graphic or otherwise, take a listen, turn your volume up. Episode three, Head in the Clout, Alicia Titone, GQ. Let's get into it. How we doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for joining us. So, Alicia, for those who are tuning in and don't know who you are, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to at GQ? Yeah, so I am a graphic designer and editorial illustrator. Very cool. Graphic design and illustrator. Sounds creative. Tell us a little bit more. What does that mean exactly? What kind of things are you working on on the day-to-day? So, day-to-day, every article that you see published on GQ.com has some sort of image to go with it, whether that's a photo or an illustration or a collage. And my job is basically to decide which of those things it should be, if it's a photo or an illustration. And then often I'm making those illustrations myself or I'm art directing other designers on their own illustrations. Very cool. Very cool. And so is this like all on the GQ website? Is this across social as well? Kind of where are you touching on? Is it in print too? Some are in print. I, I work mainly on the digital side. Right. Um, and we, we have a whole, a whole art department that we are kind of split up into print and digital, but it sort of bleeds into each other. Right. So sometimes I'll work on some print stuff. Sometimes the print designers will help out with some digital stuff. It's pretty free form. Um, and then we actually, I used to do more of the social design stuff, but we just hired a dedicated social designer because there's so much work to do for that space sure. that it was overwhelming. Right. And I couldn't get any other work done. The reason why you hired a social person, is it because, like, there's so much to do? Or is it, like, social requires, like, a specific type of content to be made? Mm. Usually there's a lot of different content that we need for social feeds as opposed to what goes on the website. Yeah. Right. What's the difference there? Um, There are so many things. Like, our social team has done so much, like, research. And then they're like, we need art for social to look like this, this, and this. So it's really interesting. Um, the biggest example they told us is that 
uh, like we like to use a lot of black and white, you know, for converting like images of people, like we'll put them on a funky background and sure. maybe show people in black and white. And then our social team was like, hey, actually photographs in black and white do not perform well on social. We want to get people to click on this. So you need to keep them in full color. So sometimes I'll be making two different illustrations for an article, like one that's in full color for social and then one that uses black and white for the website to be more like arty. Sure. Quote unquote. You know? Yeah. Like no. Different aesthetics, different platforms. Yeah. It's definitely totally. interesting because it's like all under the GQ roof. Yeah. But it, like, and it all has, has to, to look and feel like GQ and be cohesive enough that people will see it and think, oh, that's GQ and right. want to click on it. But it's a little bit tailored towards different audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I want to double click on something you just mentioned, which is like making sure things always look and feel GQ. And so just to kind of give the listeners a little more insight, like what are some of those aesthetic elements you would say that kind of make things feel GQ no matter print web where they're going to kind of live. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the main things that look and feel like GQ are always going to be bright, contrasty, fresh, and sort of unexpected sure. is always what we go for. I imagine it's got to be kind of difficult to not let your own political feelings or vibes kind of bleed into the work. But obviously, as a professional, you have to make sure that you don't. So like, do you find any instances where you're like struggling with that as you're working to create something more in like the political scope? Totally. I mean, it's tonally getting an image right is really important. Like you can get so much backlash for kind of attaching the wrong image or like, you know, something that reads as inconsiderate to certain types of articles that are politically charged. Um, And that's something that we obviously really try to avoid. So, I mean, as far as my own beliefs, luckily I tend to really like and agree with most of our political coverage. So I don't find that difficult to to work on at all because we're I'm pretty left-leaning so is a, are a lot of our political reporters sure so that's generally pretty easy stuff I would say getting the tone right is more difficult on the the kind of heavy topics that right. are about like a really serious reported issue about if we're reporting on abortions or the death penalty or something like that like a really a much heavier topic rather than just like oh we're gonna poke fun at Trump's hair or something right right yeah and I guess like when I think of GQ, like I think of more of like the the visual aspect, right? Like the GQ models and things mm-hmm. like that. And like, like politics is sexiest man of the year. Yeah, sexiest yeah, man yeah, of the year, yeah. exactly. So yeah. and so I guess like my brain doesn't automatically go to politics when I hear GQ. So like what do you think like when users think about GQ and then think about GQ politics, like how do you think they expect you to kind of convey politics? Do you think they're looking for something a little more? airy and cheeky from GQ or are they looking for that heavy straight to the point kind of outlook if you will well I think we do a pretty solid mix of both of those kinds of coverage um I mean I do I agree like we are mainly a style magazine right right. so um like across the brand in the print magazine and on the website and on social and video and stuff like the focus is largely on style and I still think that's what GQ's audience mainly comes there for but I mean, more and more lately, we are sort of trying to appeal to a broader audience, I sure. think, and that involves covering all kinds of things like politics and like sex and relationships and entertainment news and all sorts of things. Um, and that's sort of stuff that is not necessarily even geared solely towards male readers. It's, right. it's 
something that everybody we hope is interested in. And can relate to. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. So tell our listeners a little bit more about your background, because obviously GQ, where you are right now, awesome brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, I'm sure it took a lot of work and, and time to get to where you are today. So yeah. kind of where does your background stem from and how did you end up at GQ? Yeah, so I started I started out in college. I studied graphic design, uh, and I always, in my head, thought that Champlain I was going to be... Champlain <laughs> That's right. You guys went to we school did. together, yeah, right? Okay. A little Champlain moment going oh, yeah. on right now for everybody who can't college. see it. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I studied graphic design at Champlain College in Vermont, um, and I honestly was always planning on being a print designer pretty much exclusively because I realized that I wasn't really that interested in designing websites or branding. Um, I'll do a little bit of that, but it's really not my forte. Um, and I wanted to go into book cover design. Very cool. Um, yeah, and I still do a little bit of that freelance, but for the, my first few years out of school, that was my full-time job. Um, and I worked at a couple of large publishing houses, designing book covers for fiction, nonfiction, all types of stuff. And then, yeah, I just, I was interested in doing editorial illustration, what I'm doing now, but I had never been hired for that. It was just something that I was like, I would like to do this one day, but I don't really know how to get my foot in the door. So I started this little personal project where I just like every day for a month, I picked a random article from the New York Times. I would read it and then I would make an illustration to accompany it. And that eventually led to like a little bit of freelance work and then... Somebody, like a mutual friend, passed my name along to the GQ art director when they were looking to hire a designer, and the GQ art director reached out to me and said, hey, I like your illustrations. Do you want to work for me? That's awesome. That's really cool. It's, like, super cool that you were just like, you know what? I want to do this thing, so I'm just going to make a personal project and just start designing because... Definitely. I mean, it's such a saturated field. I was like, I want to get into this, but there's already so many people who do this and are great at this. Right. And I have no experience with this, so yeah. I have to at least, like, pretend to, like, I have a little bit of experience, <laughs> like, yeah. just giving myself assignments. I mean, what was it like shifting from, like, doing book design, which I you're very passionate about, mm-hmm. at least that's yeah. my assumption. Still love um, it, but different. <laughs> very very different. different. Yeah. Um, but what's, like, that shift, like, from, like, designing something for a book and then designing something for a website or an article? It's so, 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 so different. I think I, like, I was so not prepared when I made the jump from book publishing to, to the, like, magazine and digital world. Because, um, really, with book publishing, you're thinking a little bit about about somebody viewing this digitally, but really only in terms of, like, will the Amazon thumbnail of the cover be right. viewable at a really... Like, can they read it at a small size right. on Amazon? And that's, that's, like, about as far as it goes. Yeah. Um, and the deadlines are much, much longer, like, months at a time. And then, you know, fast forward, I after about two years of working in book publishing, having really, like, long, slow, relaxed deadlines, and then I jumped into GQ, and I'm doing the website and I have like multiple illustration deadlines every day. Sometimes I do them like under an hour. Sometimes I get them like a day or two in advance. Um, but I would say but normally is that a luxury? It's day. like day or two in advance. You're like, Oh wow. Vacation deadline. Oh my God. I can stretch my legs. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. But like, what's it, what's, uh, what's the creative process like being under such short deadlines? The creative process kind of differs from article to article. It right. sort of depends on 
what the content is, what the subject matter is, like what the tone of the article that you're trying to convey is. So when I first started out, it definitely, I took a little bit more time to work on these types of projects because I was not used to these fast deadlines, but now it's very instinctual. Um, I can look at a type of article and I basically, I get an art request from an editor. They'll fill out the name of the piece, um, you know, who they're interviewing or what they're writing about. And they might, they might suggest something for art. They might say, I want a picture of this person or that person, or they might just say, do an illustration or something. Make it work. Um, yeah. A lot of times it's like you get a sentence and that's it. Wow. Um, yeah. So, Terrible creative brief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, sometimes it's, it's nice that it's open-ended. Um, there's no one really telling me what to do. I have a lot of yeah. creative freedom, which is nice. Um, but yeah, so... I, I really kind of know almost right away now what calls for an illustration, like something hand-drawn, or mm-hmm. not really hand-drawn, I'm drawing it in Photoshop, but something drawn out in Photoshop versus a collage versus just, you know, maybe a news photo. Um, but it, it was an adjustment process for sure. Like right. you kind of have to, it takes a little while to sort of get a feel for not only like the GQ audience and what people will click on, but also just what is like, tonally appropriate to use for like to accompany an article in such a fast news cycle right do you like you keep on saying like what the gq people are gonna like gravitate towards or click on like do you actually do data analysis like does someone hand you a report and you're like all right next next month we won't do this (laughs) not me personally i would say it's more casual than that but yeah we have had um earlier this year i think it was we had a meeting with like the art team and the social team and they did go over like a bunch of data. They had like a whole presentation on like these types of images perform better than these types of images. And that's why we don't post like black and white images on social or stuff like that. You know, Mm -hmm. know, I'm sure we have some listeners out there who are also in creative roles with really intense deadlines. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have any tips that you could give people for kind of maintaining your creativity while still being able to operate under such severe deadlines? That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Don't cry too much. Right, right. (laughs) I was actually thinking about this the other day and I was like, I think that I've somehow never cried at work in my time working at GQ. Wow. And that's I, impressive. I've cried at every previous job I've had. Yeah, so it's like, it's a thing. Yeah, it's definitely a thing, but it has somehow not been a thing here, which I guess is a testament to how much I like my job. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. But that's... yeah, I mean, definitely not, not crying helps uh, <laughs> with meeting deadlines. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I Honestly, sometimes when I am like, my brain is dead. I have already done like four illustrations today and it's only 1 PM and I have to do like three more. Um, I use my coworkers. I'll slack people or just turn to my other designers or art directors who are sitting next to me. And I'll be like, please help me. I have no idea how to like, how to go about doing this. And someone will inevitably say like, why didn't you, why don't you do this? Or why don't you Photoshop this onto that? Um, so, I mean, I definitely would say that the rest of the creative team at GQ is like the best asset that I have there. Um, and then just also like looking at, I look at a lot of other news and like culture websites. Like I, I look at the New York times and like the New Yorker and, um, 
a lot of different news websites to like kind of check out what sort of illustration they're doing and what sure. kind of stuff they're publishing. Get a little info. Um, yeah. I yeah, feel like exactly. it's like that though across like every single industry, you know, like yeah. I spend my like days competitors. Yeah, yeah. reading about like what some of the mm-hmm. biggest agencies are doing and why it's cool. And it's like, okay, well yeah. I have a third of the budget, so how can I do the yeah. same thing? Right. Exactly. But it's kind of the same concept. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to like stay up to date on like what's cool. What's yeah. You have to know also, what people are doing. Yeah. And it's like the, the illustration that is published on GQ is not at all the same as the illustration that is published on the New Yorker or like other publications like that but you can kind of just you can still get ideas from it or just I don't know just sometimes just looking at other art or other something other than my own work and my own screen is helpful and that also like ties to one of the questions also is that like when you're creating under these like super short deadlines like how much of it is like just like pure skill, like being able to like Photoshop out their silhouettes and how much of it is like, okay, now let me apply my style. Like, do you even have time to do that? Yeah. Uh, it definitely, when I first started out, I was like, oh my God, I'm not very good at Photoshop. <laughs> I mean, I was fine, but, um, you know, I was not like very fast and I had trouble working under these deadlines. And when I first started out, my art director would give me kind of like longer lead times, um, to work on things cause she, I was so new to it, but, um, right. yeah, it really, it, the skill is a really important part of it. Just, it just comes with time. Like there's yeah. no, there's really no other, like other way around it. But I, like, I am kind of constantly the, the like Photoshop Sherpa of my, like Photoshop guru of my, I don't even know if that makes sense. You went my from office. not knowing enough to yeah, knowing it to all. Now it's to, like people, to being a guru Sherpa. Yeah, now, now people are like, Alicia, how do I do this thing in Photoshop? Or like, how do I do this? Whatever. Um, and I could probably Photoshop almost anything onto almost anything. Gotta say. Wow. But that's a brag. But, <laughs> but I brag, just, humble yeah, brag. just a straight up brag. Um, <laughs> that was not very humble. Alicia's uh, doing tutoring sessions. <laughs> right, right. Five to six every single day no. at the GQ headquarters. You know, that's actually the thing though. It's, it's hard to teach something like that because when my coworkers ask me how to do something in Photoshop, I kind of just have to like be like, okay, scoot over. And then I, I can't really talk them through it. It's just so instinctual that like I yeah. have to like grab their keyboard and like do it with my own hands. I totally get it. I can't talk through it unless I'm doing it. Yeah. So it's just, it's become very instinctual over time, yeah. but. Brit and I do yeah. the same thing. Brennan's like, how do I do this thing? I'm like, just send me the sheet and yeah, I'll do like it myself. Or just send versa. me the yeah, yeah. presentation. Exactly. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a skill all in itself, right? Because I think it's so easy as a human to just kind of be like, it's quicker for me to just do this for you. Yeah. And with deadlines constantly uh-huh. piling up, I'm sure it's just easier to kind of say, let me get this out for yeah. you real quick and go back to what I was doing. But, um, Obviously, being able to teach it is a whole different skill set. Right. Maybe you can teach me how to use Photoshop because yeah. I have absolutely no idea. Happy to. <laughs> Happy to try. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I'm sort of just thinking about more since we've hired some new designers at GQ and they're already super talented and amazing. But, like, I have probably been there the longest out of our sure. whole digital team now. Um, and, yeah, so when people ask me questions, sometimes I'm, like, in my head I have to go over it and be like, well... I know that I could just do this myself like really quickly and yeah. sort of like let them watch, but that would not be helpful for them. Like yeah. for, it, it wouldn't help them grow as a designer. Um, well, now that you're in a leadership role, like what's that adjustment being like going from like not really being a leader <laughs> and being low man on the totem pole when you first get there to now being the most senior person and like having some kind of responsibility for it's other people. Weird, man. It's weird. It sort of just <laughs> happened without... Uh, without me really meaning for it to. Um, 
I feel like I just woke up one day and I was like, oh, like people respect me and I know what I'm doing. This is cool. Somehow gone, which was present for a long time before that. And it's still there a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, like, I feel like everybody much. has yeah, it. Like look in the mirror. I'm like, is my, my reflection going to figure out that I'm just one thing? Yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely, um, yeah, we've, de- we've hired a lot of new people. And so just sort of as a result of that, I've sort of started kind of teaching more junior designers how to like how things work and why we do things certain ways. And it's just really interesting to kind of have to like put into words things that I, I just did so instinctually before. Um, Like, why do I treat this as a collage and why do I not use this in black and white and make that black and white instead? Or, you know, just these, yeah, all of these kind of little things. I can't even name one big thing, but it's just, the whole idea of like vocalizing why you're yeah. making the choices that you're making, which I didn't really have to do before because I, when I first started, everyone was like, this is what you do. And I just right. sort of absorbed it and didn't realize that I was like, Oh, now I know all this stuff and now I can teach right. it to someone else. As somebody with a little more seniority, like I imagine a lot of these new hires look up to you and like, look for your expertise, your advice. What do you find easier with like, kind of acclimating with a new team member, is it easier for you to kind of work with somebody who hasn't really found their artistic voice yet and are almost a little more moldable? Or is it easier for you to kind of work with somebody who's already coming in with an ironed out artistic outlook, creative outlook, and it's really just about helping them mold to what GQ means? Oh, that's a good question. So I feel like I like when somebody comes in and already has a, a strong creative outlook or a particular style. Um, but then on the other hand, it's, it can be kind of detrimental to have a style that you stick to too strictly or like opinions that you refuse to give up. Cause I, like, I would say a lot of my time at GQ has been sort of developing a style for myself. So I would say I went in kind of not really having a particular style, just sort of like a blank slate being like, teach me everything. Um, like a sponge. Yeah, really. I really was. (laughs) I was an artistic sponge. Um, (laughs) And I think that worked really well for me because I sort of like to let my style be dictated by the content um, of what I'm designing for or illustrating. But I I have worked with other designers um, past and present at GQ who have more like they have more particular styles that they have already illustrated in a lot or that they are really that they really love to work in. and I really love and respect that in people because I've just never, that's just never really been how I worked. But I always find that so fascinating where I'm like, how did you, how did you sort of decide that this was your style? Like, how do you come across that? And it's as long as somebody can sort of like figure out how to apply their particular creative style to GQ or, you know, whatever brand they're working for, I think it's great to have your own style and bring it to the publication. Um, I think the only time that's really would be a problem is that if you're kind of so stubborn and you don't want to like work as a team member and right. you just, you want to do what you want to do and you don't want to take the art direction, but I wouldn't really say that's, a, I really don't think that's a problem I've had, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think one question that I have to ask is in today's ecosystem and especially in the ecosystem that we work in digitally, there's this like ongoing phrase that print is dead. Mm-hmm. Is print dead? As somebody who's seen it from both sides of the coin, as someone who's working for a publication, like, is print dead? I don't think so. 
Oh, hot I take. Know. Yeah, I yeah. know, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, it's. I guess it's different for books and magazines, and I'm a little bit uh, in both worlds. Sure. Um, I mean, for, well, you know, we just got a new editor-in-chief at GQ earlier this year, and he sort of started this whole print revolution where he's like, if you search the hashtag print is good or new GQ, it's a whole a whole new GQ basically. It's where he's kind of trying to revive the the glory of print without ignoring how important digital is because that is where most of our like audience consumes GQ. Right. Right. Um, So, I mean, in the magazine world, print is definitely in a more precarious position, I would say. Um, I think I'm, I feel really lucky to be at GQ, like a place that values both print and digital. Cause even though I'm working on the digital side right now, I do really love to, experience things in print as well. Right. Um, that's pretty important to me. And, but like, especially more so for books for me as well. Sure. Um, and books are just a whole nother topic where when eBooks came out, uh, however many years ago, everyone was like, print books are going to be a thing of the past. They're right, never going right. to print any more books. And there was a, t- a period of time for a few years right after eBooks became popular where print book sales dipped. But then after that, they've been steadily going up again. So I think that, Ebooks just got more people to read who weren't previously reading. Right. Um, Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think print books might, I don't know. I don't know which one makes bigger sales actually. Um, yeah. Print books or ebooks, but I'm from everything that I've read recently, print books are actually doing surprisingly well. So yeah. I I'm mean, happy to hear that. I think about like my cousin, Emily, um, she's like, I mean, she's going to grad school to get her master's in poetry. So she's, like, obviously a big English Mm -hmm. nerd. Um, And, like, once a week she'll go out and, like, go to a bookstore just to, like, physically touch and smell a book because it's, like, so deeply rooted in who she is and who her her identity is that, like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get that kind of fulfillment by, like, downloading a book to your Kindle or whatever. Like, it's just not the same. Like, there's, there's, like, something tangible and then something that's just, like, out there. Yeah. Like, that's how I feel about print books as well. Like I read all my books in print form and I have nothing against eBooks. I just like, I'm like, if people want to read books in eBook format, that's great. More people are reading. I love it. But I like to read my print books, my books in print, but for like news and culture and like magazines and newspaper stuff, I read all of that stuff digitally. Right. Yeah. So Print is that? Uh, <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> it's still living. It's still, it's still going. I mean, what is it like to see one of your illustrations like on a it's physical piece cool. of paper? I have right, to say, it's right. really, really cool. Uh, yeah, I just had my first illustration printed in the Times like a, a week or two ago. Congrats! That's Thank awesome. you. Yeah, and I'd had one on their website before, but this was my first time in print. Um, I bought like went ran to the newsstand, bought like multiple copies, yeah. some pictures <laughs> of it to my parents. I was like, oh my god. I'm in the New York Times. And I had technically been in the New York Times before because I was on their website. Right. For, like with my illustrations. But, you know, it was big in print this time. So I do think the, I don't know, I it's it's a hard business model to keep print going. And I'm not going to pretend to be like well-versed in that business model. But I do think, at least from my perspective, there's sort of like a little bit of like old school glamour or glory that yeah. print brings. It's um, like seeing your name in lights and seeing your name on a website are two very different yeah, things. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. So I think at least some people, if not a lot of people, are very attached to that. Yeah. Still. 
So you mentioned that moment of uh, this recent moment with the New York Times and kind of the excitement that brought you. Mm-hmm. What are some other milestones that you kind of set for yourself in this scope? Like what's the, the thing that's going to give you that I made it moment? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, well, honestly, the New York Times was kind of like... My yeah, that's one. <laughs> um, I mean, I would like to... I was... I. I would like to be on like one of the covers, like a section cover of the Times, like Absolutely. on the Sunday Review or the Book Review or something like right. that, because those are printed huge, just right on the cover. And mine was in the middle on one of the inside pages. So, I mean, that's a big goal. And then, um, I mean, just working on more like books for authors who I really respect, and you know, illustrators, illustrations for writers whose work I really love to read and respect like I think part of why I like to do what I do is because I get paid to read and then make art about what I'm reading and that's the fucking dream yeah Yeah. so uh just kind of working with really great really smart people is like all I've ever wanted to do so I feel really lucky that I get to do that that's awesome yeah very very cool and so I mean as we get down to kind of wrapping this episode up what are some tips you can give to some listeners uh, that are looking to kind of break into the creative space and especially in the mm-hmm. digital creative space? Like what are some things that they can do to really set themselves up for success and, and land a job as cool as working for GQ? Yeah, totally. I mean, I would say going back to sort of my, what I was talking about in the beginning, how I got my job, right. um, doing a sort of like personal project is immensely helpful. I know it worked for me and it's, I know it's worked for a lot of other people too, that they just kind of start a self-initiated project. If you're like, I want to do this type of work, but I only have like student work in my portfolio, or I've only ever had a different kind of job and I don't have any experience doing the kind of thing that I want to do. Just give yourself an assignment, do the cool shit you want to do. Um, and then send it to people like you can, I actually didn't send this to I personally didn't reach out to the GQ art director right. this time, like to get my current job, but I have reached out to other art directors. Sure. You can pretty easily find a company's email structure online and yeah, take figure the out who art directors are. Yeah. And if yeah. you just, you know, you can just email your portfolio or these kind of projects to art directors. Um, and people are receptive. You're sure. not always going to get responses, but a lot of people really respect like young grads or like, people who are even still students or just looking to change their career, people really respect people taking the initiative to send their work out. And I imagine there's got to be like a certain vulnerability when you're sharing your art, right? One of my favorite music artists has this quote. He says, I'm an artist. I'm sensitive about my shit. Like I'm sure that's very, very (laughs) true. So whether you're job hunting or just turning something in for a deadline, like Mm -hmm. how do you conquer that vulnerability kind of, maybe fear, I guess you could almost call it, of like opening up and sharing this creativity with the world. Yeah, it is. That's a big, that was a big thing for me to get over uh, when I first started out as a designer and illustrator. Because when I first started in my career, I was like so self-conscious about showing my work or showing my process. Um, And it, it felt like all my work was very personal to me. Like I'm an artist, I'm sensitive. Yeah. And I do, I think of myself as an artist, I would say that, but I don't, I kind of have to step, like, straddle that mindset when I'm working in, like, doing client work. Like, I might do some sort of, like, fine art practice for myself outside of work. Like, I paint a little bit and stuff, and that stuff that I probably still would be sensitive and, like, not even, like, show a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but for work stuff, I, it's just, so, it's so much easier to kind of get over that if you 
it takes practice and it takes like sort of talking through your stuff, but just sort of knowing that like you're making art. Yes. You're like designing or making an illustration, but you're doing it in service of a client, whether it's an author or like a journalist or a publication. Um, and it's not about it, self-expression there yeah, anymore. Like I, yeah. that's, that's why I find it. I don't really feel very self-conscious about presenting my work that I do day to day as a graphic designer or illustrator, because it's like, this is not personal to me. Like it's personal in that I made it and I had right. fun and I'm glad that I get to do this for a living, but it's not, I'm not expressing my personal feelings necessarily through this piece of art. I'm expressing what this GQ article is trying to convey. Um, so I'm doing it in service of the magazine and my goal is to try and get as many people as possible to read this great article. So Alicia, you live in New York City right now, right? Yeah. How long have you lived in New York City, just out of curiosity? Uh, three years, just about. Okay. And yeah. any specific parts that you've kind of been for three years, or have you bounced around different parts of the city? I've bounced around, like, almost every year for the past three years. Okay. Uh, this is the first apartment that I've renewed my lease in. Uh, so I'm in bed right now. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. And I know that probably seems like it had absolutely no context whatsoever, but uh, here at Head in the Cloud, we like to end every episode with what we call the secret question. Ooh, okay. uh, and so everybody in season one has no idea what this question mm-hmm. is until we ask it. Um, and that question is, if a social platform represented each neighborhood in New York City and you could live in any one of those neighborhoods, what would it be and why? I think I would want to live... Mm, I would want to live in Twitter, but be, because I think my first thought was Instagram, but I was like, that's too glossy and influencery for me, and I would feel like not glamorous What's enough. What's wrong with the influencers? <laughs> yeah. are Triggered. But I, uh, <laughs> I would want to live in... I guess I would want to live in a, a Twitter neighborhood. Okay. And I'm trying to think of which like one where would be Twitter. Twitter? Where, yeah, would be Twitter what in your opinion? Would be yeah. Twitter. Um, I think like, am I supposed to get into like subgroups of like this kind of Twitter? You can if you yeah. want. Obviously. I would love to hear that. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many like subgroups on. I follow. Right. You know, like there's like design Twitter, which I actually don't find as interesting as writer Twitter, which okay. is where I would want to be in, even though I. I'm not really a writer, but I Hmm. work with writers. Um, So maybe like, I feel like that could be like Clinton Hill area. Oh, interesting. I was like, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm just saying that because I feel like a lot of writers I, that I know live in Clinton. That's so funny though. You're, you're like writer Twitter and I'm like, oh, the West Village. But the, like, oh, I don't no think, no, I don't think that's really it. I mean, there's probably some writers there, but I feel like Clinton West Hill. Village is too expensive for writers. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow, yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. Yeah. Um cool. Yeah, that that that's our question. Yeah. That that's our podcast. Uh thanks Alicia. <laughs> thanks for coming on Head in the Cloud. We're really stoked to have you and uh definitely a great time. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna clap again.